Well, church, hey, it's my joy to share with you the word of God today. I'm, I'm particularly excited that I get to preach to you today from my very favorite psalm. Some people call this the soldier's psalm and believe that David wrote it in the camp as he prepared for battle. Others believe that it's called the traveler's song because it was written on a journey, on a voyage, uh, of which I would love to hear Pastor Adam talk more about this at some point. He has actually been to Jerusalem, and so this uh, uh, psalm just comes to life when you can actually stand where David was when he prepared it. So I would, I would love to hear more from him at some point. But today you got me. And so I'll tell, uh, to the best of my knowledge, what I believe this is about. And so uh, this particular psalm, whether it was written for the traveler, the sojourner, the soldier, uh, I'm not sure. But I know this, it has been the most comforting of all the psalms to my particular heart. In God's providence, my big brother in the faith, a guy named Ben Johnson, challenged me to memorize this very psalm 20 years ago. And so as many big brothers in the faith do, he pushed me along until I agreed and I memorized Psalm uh, 121, which is where we're gonna be today. You don't have to turn there just yet, but uh, I memorized it. And I found that this psalm has been particularly meaningful to me in times of heartbreak and difficulty and hardship. A lot of you know our story, but back in 2017, our little daughter Lily had a tragic accident. And uh, upon learning of what had taken place, I was heartbroken, of course, and immediately turned to the Lord. I just began crying out to God, begging the Lord to spare Lily's life, cry, crying out to him, begging him in every possible way. And so I, I prayed unceasingly for the Lord to deliver Lily and save her life. But I have to admit, I didn't actually open my Bible during those few hours. Between learning of the accident and, and getting to Lily's presence there in the hospital, I didn't turn to the Word of God. I didn't even recall any scriptures in my head, but I knew to turn to God in prayer. I just begged Him. I cried out to Him over and over again. And so as we were standing there in the ICU, standing over Lily, her life was literally hanging on by a thread. She was barely alive. And my good buddy, Richmond, who st was standing in the ICU with me, Richmond leans over and says, hey, hey, bro, um, what scriptures have you been clinging to over the last few hours? What scriptures have you found hope in and encouragement in? Well, as I just shared with you, I, I hadn't recalled any specific scriptures. I'd just been crying out to the Lord. But when Richmond asked me, what scriptures have you been turning to for comfort? Instantaneously, the Lord reminded me of Psalm 121 and bolstered my spirit and gave me courage and hope and confidence in the power of God in that moment. Now, I believe supernaturally the Lord enabled me to anchor that word in my heart from two decades before for that very moment. He had prepared me 20 years before to stand there in that critical moment when my heart was broken to recall that word that he anchored in my heart. I'm so grateful for that. And so upon recalling that scripture, I was compelled to entrust my family, entrust my own difficulty, my daughter's difficulty, to the Lord in a new and profound way in that moment. Psalm 121 did that for me. My hope is that as we explore this word today, that you might also be compelled similarly, that you might trust the Lord with whatever's going on in your life, that you might look to him for your help. You might look to him for your hope. So turn with me if you haven't done so already. Psalm 121, uh, written by David. 
The title of it is My Help Comes from the Lord. If you're not familiar with your Bible, Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible, right in the middle. The big number is the chapter that we're in and the small number are the verses we'll walk through. We're gonna read all eight verses and then we're gonna talk about them. Starting in verse one. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, amen. So we find that David is writing this circumstance. We can maybe visualize that he is walking through some type of valley with lots of hills up around him. He's in a, maybe a difficult circumstances uh, or difficult circumstance. And so we can maybe acknowledge as we picture what he's going through that anybody who's walking through a valley, whether a natural valley or a valley of life, the hope is that you might get yourself out of that valley. And it would only be natural as one who is down low to look up for help. A person who is down below is hopeful to get up out of the difficulty that they're in. So while in the depths of difficulty, it's only natural to look up for help. In the case of the psalmist, he looks up to the hills that surrounds himself and asks, where does my help come from? He's perplexed. He's a little bit troubled. But rather than focusing on his current circumstances, or looking within himself, or looking to his peers, to his right and to his left, he looks up. He knows his help comes from above. He's got that locked in. Now, while our brother David looked up to the Palestinian hills that were around him, looking for help, a little bit perplexed about where it might come from, on this side of the cross, us Christian folk, we can look to a specific hill and recognize that our greatest help has come from Calvary Hill where Jesus Christ was crucified. So David looks around a little bit uh, uncertain about where his help might come from when he looks at these hills. Well, we can look to a specific hill and know that our help has come from Jesus Christ. He, he has solved our greatest need, our greatest problem we find in Jesus Christ's crucifixion on the cross, which began there on Calvary Hill. So while in verse one, David looks around a little bit uncertain, he's got a question in his heart, we can look to Calvary Hill with a great answer, a confident answer. So he looks up, where does my help come from? Verse two says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Though David questions the source of his help, he answers himself by proclaiming that his help comes from the Lord. As he looks upon those hills, he remembers that the very one who made those hills is the one who brings his help. When you look at landscape around you, you can't help but wonder, the creator of that, surely he's the one that brings our help. Well, that's what David acknowledged in that moment. Last week, I was delighted to get to go on a backpacking trip with some fine men of God from Eastside, including Jay Leftwich. Thanks for being there, Jay. It was awesome. Um, we got to climb, and, and Carter, thank you for being there, Carter. It was great. Um, we got to climb these mountains. We backpacked for, on a four-day excursion. We were roughing it. 
I mean, we were living out of a backpack, sleeping in tents, sleeping on the ground. Uh, no bathroom in the forest, by the way. You got to figure that out. Um, it, was, uh, it was uncomfortable, to say the least. So on the third day of our four-day excursion, we got to summit Heart Peak. There's a peak there in the uh, Rio Grande National Forest in southern Colorado, and we, re- we summited this peak. It was 13,277 feet, and y'all, I'm telling you, it was spectacular. Just the most beautiful, maybe one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, but a beautiful landscape in every direction, 360 degrees, you could turn and see spectacular creation. So we were standing atop, whatever, 13,277, but there were peaks in every direction, innumerable peaks. Although we had summited one, there were so many around us, they were, uh, you, you couldn't count them. There were just too many to count. And so you stand there looking at that beauty, that creation. You can't help but be awestruck by the power and the creativity and the expanse and the magnitude of our great God who made all of them. As I stood there, we call it Heart Peak, as they told us on the trail, the peak we were on doesn't actually have a proper name. But I'm confident that the Lord has a name for that mountain and all those other peaks that were around us, he knows them. He's familiar with them. You see, I believe what the Bible says in Genesis 1, 9 and 10. I believe that God himself spoke all things into existence, including those very mountains that we stood upon that day. He made it. He made it himself. And I also believe that uh, Colossians 1.16, which says that all things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. That the triune God created all that I could see atop that mountain with a word. He spoke it into being. I believe that that's true. And I believe that the Lord is familiar with every one of those peaks, every plateau, every hillside, every tree line, every stream within the entire mountain range and beyond. Uh, Because I believe he created them and he saw that they were good, every one of them. Now, if I believe what I say that I believe, how can I Like David, how can I not look upon those hills and be comforted and reminded that my help comes from the one who made those mountains? The truth is, the God whose immeasurable power handcrafted those very mountains that we stood upon has greater concern and care for you than those lifeless rocks. Infinitely greater care. If we actually believe that he made those mountains with a word and that he holds them in place at this very moment, shouldn't we be comforted by the knowledge of his power and his concern for us? If he carefully assembled all of the natural created order, all that we can see, all that we can know, can't we believe that he has power and authority over the current hardships and difficulties we have in life? He spoke and those mountains came up out of the earth. Don't you think he can wipe away what it is you're struggling with? Surely the God of creation has the capacity to resolve any trouble that might befall you. No matter how big or how small, the one who created all that exists has the power and the compassion to provide help for the weary saint who calls upon him for help. When I was preparing this sermon, I couldn't help but consider where Eastsiders typically turn for help. Where do you turn for help? 
You have a hard day, you have a difficult moment. Where does your heart turn to? I know my own inclination. I know my sinful heart. I assume you might have some of that in you. I often turn to myself. I look inside. I try to resolve problems on my own. Sometimes I can work myself into a bit of a frenzy when I'm thinking through something that's frustrating or hard or difficult or something that offended me. I'll talk through the scenario in my head. I'll replay it over and over again. I'll imagine what I should have said or what I'm gonna say next time or a million different conversations going on in my head and this is absolute madness <laughs> because it doesn't bring help. It doesn't bring resolution. It only brings further frustration and sometimes I will tarry on in that for a really long time. Lord willing, most of the time, God catches my attention 30, 60, 90 minutes into that uh, frenzy in my head and he reminds me, you're your help comes from me. Stop trying to fix things yourself. Your help comes from me. And so when the Lord does that, it allows me to call my spirit, look to him, call upon him for help. But I wonder, Esad, where do you turn for help? You've had a tough day. Do you look to yourself? Do you look inwardly? Do you look to your friends, your peers? Try to find security and safety and affirmation in those things? Or can you be like David, which I fail to do a lot? Can you be like David and recognize your help comes from the Lord? Sometimes we're tempted to turn to things like substances or devices. Can I get an amen on that? Turn to a device, turn to a relationship for help, maybe a hopeful relationship for help. Now, while those things, each of those things can provide some sort of temporary balm to a hurting heart, the reality is each of those things fade away. And the inner turmoil, the, the grief, the hardship, the difficulty that's going on in your life, it returns. Because shortly after those worldly helps fade away, the reality of your hardship comes back to light. We all know this to be true because we've all sought rescue from people, places, and things that are not capable of bringing the help that we truly need. I hope that we might be like David. Resolve to look first and foremost to the Lord for help. I hope that we might look beyond heaven and earth, look beyond those hills to Jesus Christ, the Lord, the maker and upholder of all things in the universe. Since all of creation is at his disposal, why would we not turn to him? Lift your eyes up to the hills and be reminded that your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. All right, verse three. As we transition into verse three, I wanna point something out to you. The first two verses, David is saying, I, where does my help come from? I lift my eyes up. He's talking about himself, but as we transition to verse three, we see that he starts talking about you and me, us. The, the transition of care goes from himself to the fellow saints, brothers and sisters. Verse three. He will not let your foot be moved. Let me talk about that real quick. We're promised here that the Lord will not let our foot be moved. That doesn't mean you're not gonna have difficult days. That doesn't mean you're not gonna be sick or lose your job. But it does mean that the Lord is going to stabilize and sustain you. He's going to help you remain steadfast in him. It means that the Lord will establish your steps to stand fast with him for all of your days. The power of God will sustain you and protect you. Christ himself will uphold you. 
is what that means. The Lord will not let your foot be moved. Even in the presence of continual misfortune or hardship, the Lord will preserve your steps and preserve your faith. Going on, it says, this may be my favorite verse in the whole passage. He who keeps you will not slumber. I love that. The Lord will not slumber. I can't tell you how comforting it is to me to remember that we have a God who will not slumber. We serve a God who has never grown weary. He has never grown tired. He has never felt sleepy. He has never needed a nap. He has never needed a break. He does not sleep. He does not rest. He does not snooze. He does not doze off because he has no need for any of the above. He is tireless and he is unwearying. He doesn't fade or falter. He does not slumber. Praise be to God. We've got a God that does not even blink for long enough to lose his attention from you. A few years ago when Kathy and I were in the ICU with Lily, we were trying to give her all the love we could possibly give. We were serving and supporting and caring for her, praying for her in every way. All that we could pour out, we were trying to give to Lily. I can't imagine feeling greater compassion for a little child than Kathy and I felt for Lily. No greater love can I imagine from an earthly heart towards a child uh, than what Kathy and I were experiencing at that time. Now, despite our full-hearted love for our daughter, after 36 hours or so of level 10 emergency care, we were absolutely exhausted. We couldn't, we couldn't stand any longer. We couldn't hold our heads up any longer. We wanted to stay awake and alert for Lily. I mean, we weren't eating, we weren't sleeping. It was not, not good, but... We wanted to be there for her. The problem is eventually that caught up to us. We had to take brief naps there on the floor of the ICU. We had to find a a cozy little couch to curl up on. You guys have seen those in the hospital. It's not all that convenient. But we're finding places to just shut our eyes to rest for a few moments. And so although we felt a little bit of shame because we weren't giving her the attention that she deserved, but it was all we could muster up just to be awake for a few hours at a time. Our love for Lily could not have been any greater, but we just didn't have the strength to carry on giving her the attention we thought she deserved. And though we couldn't muster up the energy to stay fully attentive to Lily in her time of need, the truth is that we didn't have to. I knew then, as I know now, that the Lord never once grew tired of pouring out his care and love and attention towards our daughter and our family. He never grew tired. He doesn't grow tired. While we slept, while we had to lay down and rest our heads and eyes, the Lord did not. He was awake and he remains the same now and forevermore. When we had no strength to stand, the Lord remained steadfast and steady in his unceasing care for our family. He just poured it out. He never got tired of it. Unlike me, the Lord's attention is continually upon his children and he never grows tired of pouring out his care, his mercy, and his love. His love toward us is eternal and his strength is limitless. What a treasure we have in a God who does not run out of juice. He does not run out of power. He does not run out of energy and he pours out his love on us perfectly while never getting tired. He never has the least bit inclination to sleep or take a nap. It's incredible. We never have to worry about whether the Lord has taken a sabbatical when things have gone tough for us. We never have to worry if the Lord has slept in today because we've had a tough time. 
Whatever crisis you find yourself in, remember that God is awake and alert and attentive to you and your needs and he's prepared to help in ways that only he can do. I love that. Carrying on in verse four, it it really repeats the idea but it adds some emphasis. Verse four says, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. We already heard that once, let's repeat it. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The truth of God's lack of need for rest is so significant and so important that it needed to be repeated with emphasis. The Lord is ever watchful, always attentive to any misfortune that you might experience, attentive to any scheme of the enemy that he might be trying to throw at you. He is never daydreaming. He is never lost in his own thoughts. He's never been a victim of absent-mindedness. He is not indifferent to your circumstances and he will not disregard your struggle. That's the God we serve. Additionally here, as it points out, uh, uh, he uh, is providing the same level of care towards Israel as he does to you. The shepherd of the entire uh, flock of sheep gives the same level of care to the individual sheep that he cares for. He will take great care that not even one would perish. The Lord expresses the same level of care and watchfulness towards you specifically as he does his entire flock. God is spoken of in this passage as a personal shepherd. That's encouraging. It's a personal shepherd of one individual, not just an entire people. So I love this idea that the tireless shepherd cares for you in the same way he cares for the entire flock. Not just us, generically Christians, or us as Eastside Community Church, he cares for you personally. I want you to hear that. Hannah, you hear that? The Lord cares for you personally. He is your shepherd. I want y'all to hear that. Shepherding you, watchful over you personally. Not just all of us, but you. Praise the Lord. Verse five. The Lord is your keeper. That's good news. It's a great title. He's your keeper. We don't use that much in our common lingo, but the Lord is your keeper. The Lord being your keeper, he is your protector. He is your guardian. He is your watchman. God himself has undertaken the responsibility and role as your keeper. He hasn't handed it off to anyone else. He takes that charge himself. That's what the Lord does. Infinite wisdom and infinite power work together to provide safety and security for all who would be willing to sit under his care. That's what the Lord does. To know that the Lord is your keeper should strengthen you in the inner man and the inner woman. I hope that that bolsters your spirit and gives you confidence to approach tomorrow's difficulties without fear. The Lord is with you. He's keeping you. In whatever valley you find yourself in, I hope that this psalm can remind you that you have a perfectly attentive, never tiring, protective, watchful God who never tires in his role as your keeper. Never. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. As your keeper, the Lord shields you from the blistering sun of the day and the cool dampness of the night. He provides for us in the same way that he did the Israelites as they were escaping Egypt. 
Remember, he provided a a pillar of smoke, a pillar of cloud that uh, screened them from the power of the sun during the day. And then he provided a pillar of fire at night that would keep them warm and give them some protection. Well, he's providing the same thing here in Psalm 121. He says that he is our shield, protecting us from the dangers of the sun and the dangers of the moon. And whether it be the blazing sun on a hot day or the coolness and dampness of the night, the Lord steps in as our shade to protect us from their dangers. One of the beauties of this image is to picture it yourself in that if we sit under his shade, it's necessary that we would be close to him. God's proximity is near those who are sitting under his care. Think of the times maybe when you've shared an umbrella with somebody. You've probably done that before. If you stand under an umbrella, you have to get really close, maybe shoulder to shoulder, maybe wrap your arms around someone to sit under this uh, shade that you're sharing together. Proximity is a prerequisite in order to be under shade together. Well, the Lord is the same in that his protection from the elements implies a personal proximity to those he's caring for. As we sit under the shade that he provides, it suggests a closeness that's only possible through through a personal relationship with the Lord himself. We are as near to the Lord as his own shadow. You can't separate a shadow from a man or a woman. It's connected, like Peter Pan. You guys have seen that before. Well, the Lord's shadow doesn't separate from him. And so if we can sit under his shade that he provides, that means we're very close, within reach, able to touch. So as you think about the Lord's protection over you, picture yourself sitting under his personal shade. Understanding that the sun dominates the day and the moon dominates the night, the Lord's protection is over us all the time. Whether you are working or you are sleeping, he remains attentive, alert, awake, watchful, and protective over anything that might harm us. Let's look at verse seven. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. In saying that the Lord will keep you from all evil, I think that he's saying at least two things, probably a lot more, but at least two things. Number one, the Lord will keep us from giving ourselves over to all evil. By the spirit that is dwelling inside of you and by the power of Christ, which was put up on the cross, the Lord will keep you from giving yourselves over to evil, to sin, which means he will keep us from pride. He will keep us from anger. He will keep us from selfishness. He will keep us from materialism. He will keep us from jealousy. He will keep us from envy. He will keep us from lust. He will keep us from drunkenness. He will keep us from materialism. He will keep us from it all. That's what it says. It says that the Lord will keep you from all evil, all encompassing, any type of evil that your heart might be naturally inclined to, the Lord will keep you from it. He is your keeper. That's what he does over and over again. He keeps you from those things. The Lord keeps you from it all. The second thing I believe might be said here when it says the Lord will keep you from all evil, is that the Lord will keep us from the effects of evil as well. Meaning, he will keep us from the consequences of the brokenness of this earth and the evil that it experienced on, uh, on earth as a human. The Lord will keep you from those things. No matter what trouble comes your way, the Lord is keeping you from turning from him. 
Here in verse seven, it's covering all of life's hardships that weren't previously mentioned in the psalm. We already know before that he's protecting you from the sun and the moon and that he's keeping your foot from moving or slipping. But here it's just covering everything else. Anything else that might come your way, the Lord is keeping you from that. The Lord is protecting you from that. Here we learn that we will be kept from any and all evils that might harm us. This reminds me, if you guys have kids or maybe you've participated in these things before, if you ever sign your your kid up for like a summer camp, you have to sign off on a waiver. Or maybe you've signed a waiver before if you go to one of these trampoline places or ninja warrior places. You have to sign something that says death and dismemberment and anything else that might possibly happen, they are not responsible for it. And they write those waivers in a way that covers any possible scenario that could come up, things that would never, ever, ever actually happen. You're signing off on those things. Well, I'm reminded of that when I think about this psalm, this portion. In a similar way, the psalmist is saying that God is signing off, saying that no matter what happens in your life, any possible scenario, anything that you could conceivably imagine, he's got it. He's covering you. He's keeping you. No matter what happens in your life, he's got it. He will keep you through it all. Every imaginable experience, the Lord's got you. Verse eight, the Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Everything that you're up to, the Lord is providing us watchful care. Whether you're working or playing, the Lord is keeping you. Whether you're in private or in public, the Lord is keeping you. Whether you're a businesswoman or a stay-at-home mom, the Lord is keeping you. Whether you are married or single or divorced or separated, the Lord is keeping you. Whether you're enjoying the youthful years of your life or nearing the end of your life, the Lord is keeping you. He will continue to be your keeper forever. From this time forth, forever, forever, for eternity. He keeps all those who have surrendered to his care from this time forth and forevermore. Since you committed your life to the Lord, there has not been one nanosecond where he has stopped giving his unceasing attention and care for you. There will not be a moment where he turns his care for you. He is your keeper from this time forth and forevermore. As I wrap up, brothers and sisters, I just wanna encourage you. My desire, as you consider this passage, you consider Psalm 121, that you might better comprehend the character of God and the nature of his care for you. Someday, when you happen to be standing in the ICU with a loved one, you might remember the awesome promises of Psalm 121. As you consider the truths revealed in this particular psalm, does it not bolster your courage and hope in the Lord? As you believe the promises related to God's unceasing care and watchfulness over you, does it not overpower any fear that you might have about what's going on in your life? Lord, let these promises give us courage and hope and confidence in you, not ourselves. The Lord keeps your life. It's him. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will never slumber nor sleep. He will keep you from all evil. 
What anxiety can survive these promises? Lord, help us believe. When we find ourselves in the valleys of life, Lord, I pray that you would give us courage and confidence and hope in you, peace in your care, reminding us that our help comes from you, our ever-watchful, never-tiring, eternal keeper. Please pray with me. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you for being our keeper. Thank you for being the source of our help. Lord, I pray that when we seek help from other places, you would quickly remind us of where our help comes from. Lord, we need you. Lord, be the shade on our right hand. Protect us from the harm of the sun and the moon. Lord, keep our foot from being moved. Lord, keep our life. We thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and what you will do from this time forth and forevermore. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.